fantastic rest of your day. And don't forget, Jesus loves you. Bye. Well, I'm already messing up. I forgot to do connection cards. We were going to do connection cards now rather than later. Um, so just if you can, go through those Sunday links or go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. Let us know you were here. Let us know what we can be praying with you about, what's going on in your life. Those, that matters so much to us. And if this is your first time, let us know it's your first time because we want to say thank you for being with us. We're going to make a donation on your behalf to an organization called Feed One that uh, helps children in developing parts of the world that don't have access to clean water, food, and ed- education. So we're going to make a donation to that organization on your behalf as a way of saying thank you. Also, grab a free coffee gift card on your way out, too, at the Welcome Center. Let let them know it's your first time. They will hook you up. If you're doing a paper connection card on your way out today, just drop it in the bucket. The ushers are going to be there ready for you. You can drop that connection card in the bucket. They're ready to go. All right, so today we are continuing in our series through the book of Acts. I've entitled Activated. And um, let me tell you, we are going into Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 really in in a a big way defines our movement as a whole um, through the Pentecostal identity that we have. Um, we are a spirit-filled people. That's one of our distinctives is we are spirit-filled people. And uh, there's something really interesting. If you were to Google, you can do it now, but I prefer you do it later. But Google, fastest growing religion in the world. And if Pentecostalism in and of itself were a religion, excluding all of evangelicalism and Christianity... Pentecostalism itself is the fastest growing movement in the world. Google will tell you that. And uh, the Assemblies of God is the largest denomination within that movement. Um, There are more Assemblies of God churches in America than there are McDonald's. There are more assembly, There are ten times as many assemblies of God uh, churches in the world as there are McDonald's. I'm just trying to make you hungry again. I'm sorry, but. but the, the, the church is growing at an astronomical rate, especially the Pentecostal church, because there's something about saying there's an active move of God, a real present God, not just a, not just a deity that used to be or maybe that, that we worship and venerate that's still alive at a faraway place, but he's active in our world today, and the gifts of the Spirit are available to the followers of Jesus. And uh, there's something that makes people hungry about that, and it, and it brings life into our world. And so we are going to jump into this defining characteristic of the Pentecostal movement and as us, as, as, as people who follow Jesus in that way. So Jesus, last week we talked about, has ascended to the Father, right? He, he ascended back to the Father, but he promised his followers. He said, but I'm sending an advocate, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And so... Uh, Last Sunday, we, we spent some time unpacking who is the Holy Spirit. What's his role in the Trinity, right? We talked about the Uzia and, and, and that, that the new vocab words were kind of introduced and how he indwells every believer, right? Some of the roles he has is he lives in every Christian, whether you're Pentecostal, Pentecostal or not. If Jesus lives in your heart, you have the Holy Spirit. And his role in us is to give us guidance, is to advocate for us. It's to bring us under conviction at times. How many of us have ever come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit where he says there's something you need to deal with or or handle in your life. He brings regeneration to us. He matures us. He empowers us. And so the Holy Spirit 
um, dwelled with the disciples in, in, with Jesus, but then Jesus breathed on them, the Bible says, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwelled them then. But then in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, Jesus tells them that they're to anticipate a new experience with the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you in power. In verse 4, it says, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he says, wait in Jerusalem. So the disciples stay in Jerusalem. Jesus ascends. They remember they're staring up into the clouds. The angels are like, what are you doing sitting around? Wait for Jesus in Jerusalem. So they go into Jerusalem and in Acts chapter two, verse one, this is where we're going to primarily be today is in Acts chapter two, but we've got a lot of scripture. You're going to be right turning in your Bible a whole lot. Get in the Bible app with us if you like to. Acts chapter two, verse one. On the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. Okay, we're going to pause there for just a second. So the day of this promise that Jesus was talking about would happen on Pentecost. And Pentecost was a festival that the Jewish people had been celebrating for 1,400 years. I can't even wrap my mind around how long that is. When you think about us as a nation, is like 300 years old, not even. Some, or close to, around there, somewhere. I don't know, two, 1776 plus, I don't know. You do the math, I don't know. So, so, so uh, so you think about how long, 1,400 years as they've been celebrating this. And Pentecost is derived from the Greek word uh, Pentecosta, which means, penta meaning five, it means the number 50 actually. And so Pentecost occurred 50 days after Passover. Remember Jesus had Passover meal with his disciples. That was the last meal they shared together before his crucifixion. So 50 days after sharing Passover meal was Pentecost. And so, um, of course, this was a Hellenized word if you talk about Pentecost being Greek. It's actually a, the Hebraic festival that it's referring to is called Festival of Weeks or First Fruits. And that's when they would celebrate kind of the kickoff to the nice weather, to, to harvest season, to things like that. And they always brought in the best of what they had and celebrated it. And uh, it was a big party. The, they like to have festivals and parties. I mean, 50 days after a full week party, they have another one. And so, um, so they have this event, but by doing the math, if you were to do the math, Pentecost meaning 50, right? And Jesus, the Bible says, was appearing before the disciples for 40 days before his ascension. What's 50 minus 40? 10. How long did the disciples wait on the Holy Spirit? 10. Yeah, that wasn't a trick question. 10. Now... There's, there's some people that actually uh, think it's closer to seven. They're, they're counting you know, like the, the number of days that Jesus was in the tomb. And so they, they say, well, maybe it's seven. So it's between seven and ten days that the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem for this promise of the Father. And just a fun fact, by the way, we always say they were waiting in the upper room. The Bible doesn't actually explicitly say they were in an upper room. We kind of, I don't know, we, we, we kind of... Uh, come to this conclusion based on Acts 1.13 where it says that they were regularly meeting in an upper room, but then in chapter 2 it doesn't say they were in an upper room. But we can, we can assume that. That's fine. I don't think it changes, messes up our theology too badly to say they were in the upper room. But uh, continuing on in verse 2. I diverge, sorry. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages or in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So the promise that Jesus had given them arrived, and it was accompanied by three phenomena. 
There's three phenomena that were, were tangible at this moment. First of all, there was an audible sound. There was the audible. So there was the sound of a mighty wind. And that mighty wind was the, uh, is a symbol of God's presence. If you look in the Old Testament, there's a, a Hebrew word for wind. And it's all one word that uses the same word for spirit. For wind and breath. When God breathes the breath of life into Adam. When, when it talks about the wind of God moving from the east. These are the same words that are used. And the same thing in the New Testament. In the Greek. It's one word that's used for spirit, wind, and, and breath. And so this sound of this wind comes in. And it's a symbol of the presence of God entering that room. The second uh, phenomena was visual. We see tongues of, as, as a fire or flame above people in the room. And throughout scripture, we see God's presence personified as a fire. And if you look in Exodus 19, 18, God descended on Mount Sinai and it literally says in the form of fire. And then when he's leading the people of Israel through, I I need to work on my Siri not popping up like that. And then when he's leading the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 40, it says that a pillar of fire would go with the tabernacle and, and it represented the presence of God among the people. The third phenomenon that was there on that day of Pentecost was verbal. People began speaking, it says, with other languages or in tongues. They began speaking with these unknown languages to them. But here's what it says in verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. So verses 9 through 11 go on to list all the different places they were hearing their languages from. I'm not going to read it because I'm going to really butcher some of those places, those, how you pronounce them. But uh, uh, moving down to verse 12, it says, They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying... They're just drunk, that's all. So, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Amen. Amen. So, these three phenomena happen, but of the three that happened on the day of Pentecost, wind, fire, and tongues, it almost sounds like earth, wind, and fire, but that's a band from the 70s, but uh, tongues is the only one that continued. And it's evidenced through the book of Acts, through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, it was foretold by Jesus, actually, that this would happen. It wasn't something that happened, and then they're like, this is unexpected. In Mark 16, verse 17, Jesus tells the disciples this. He says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Everybody say, believe. believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. 
They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, I will just make sure you understand this. We are not uh, snake-handling people, and my son Gavin would say amen to that. We are not people that just, like, play with serpents for fun. This is Jesus saying, I'm going to protect you as you bring out the good news, right? That there is going to be a profound uh, protection over, over those that bring the good news. But he's also saying that they are going to speak in new tongues, they're going to cast out demons, they're going to heal the sick, and they're going to recover. And so there's this, what's called the signs uh, of, of God's anointing that are, that, that are being proclaimed. Now, the big question that's asked is, are these signs Jesus was talking about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just an event that was for the first century church? That's where kind of the debate comes in, right? And if, if it wasn't just for the first century church, when did it end or when will it cease? Did it cease, you know, do we have a date that it was supposed to stop or is it, there a date in the future? So if you will, jump ahead in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. This is a, book, a chapter of the Bible called the love chapter. If you've been to any wedding ever in your whole life, you've heard stuff from this chapter. But this has great theological implications about the Holy Spirit as well. In verse 8, he says this, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, everybody say perfect. The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, here Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he says, the operation in the gifts will come to a time where they stop, where they cease. He says, there will be a time when the gifts, and, and, and we prophesy in part, and they will all come, and they will cease, they will stop. Um, when is that time? He says, when the perfect, the, the perfect comes. The perfect? That seems like poor grammar to me. When the perfect comes. What's that referring to? Well, there's two schools of thought. And we're, I'm going to give you both perspectives here about what Paul means when he says the perfect has come. Number one is that the perfect is referring to the Bible. It's saying that when the canon of Scripture was closed and we have the full revelation of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we no longer need the miraculous, what we call the sign gifts, like I was talking about. Those that, and so you say, you're, you're saying the, the, the full revelation of God has been expressed. And, and now that that canon has been closed, now that we have Genesis to Revelation, we, we are saying that those sign gifts, that the, 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 Power of God moving through the gifts has, has stopped. And those that hold to this interpretation are called cessationists. They believe that that movement of God has ceased. And now in the age of the church, we have scripture. And, and we, that, that's the extent of the move of God. Now, while I do agree, let me make sure I make this totally clear, that the Bible is the full revelation of God. The Bible is the full revelation of God. It's the complete revelation of God. I do not think that the phrase Paul uses here, though, is referring to the Bible when he says the perfect has come. You see, it's important that when we study the text that we study the text within the context of what's going on here. We look at verses 11 through 13 we just read. He says these words, For now we see in a mirror, but then we'll see face to face. He says, Now I know in part, but then we shall fully know. Twice here, Paul talks about life now and then. 
He says, now we're in this situation, but then we will see face to face. Now I only know a portion, but then we will fully know. And when Paul is talking about these things, he's talking about being in the presence of God. He's talking about that when we're in the presence of God, these things are going to cease. Um, as Gary Hamrick said, he said, we need, well, who needs the gifts anymore when you're with the giver? He says, uh, who needs healing if there's no more death and pain? Who needs, who needs prophecy? We have the prophet, the king, the Messiah himself who are with and we're with him face to face. And so there will come a time when these come to, a, to an end. But, but a, a sentiment, even among Pentecostal people, is that the operation of the spirit and the manifestation of the gifts must have disappeared for several centuries. And they kind of redeveloped again around the 20th century when, uh, when like the Azusa Street revival broke out and things like that. And suddenly we, all these new things came back to life. But the reality is the early church fathers wrote about the charismata. The early church fathers, we're talking about Ignatius in the first century, wrote about the operation of the spirit. Irenaeus in the second century wrote about the operation of the spirit. Tertullian between the second and third, he was kind of between the second and third uh, century. He wrote a seven volume book about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So, so we see the, the church fathers century after century continually affirming the move and the, the active presence of the Holy Spirit in our world. All the way up through the 18th and 19th centuries, church theologians and thinkers like Adam Clark, A.T. Robinson, Albert Barnes, uh, John Wesley... Matthew Henry, who wrote a commentary many of us are familiar with, wrote extensively about the operation of the Holy Spirit through the charismatic outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So these, these thinkers and these uh, theologians for, for centuries... Now, I will tell you, at Azusa Street, though, there was a sudden outpouring of God's presence that had ne- as it not been experienced for many, many years before. And, and, and it ignited a new movement within our Pentecostal movement. But, but this movement has not suddenly just like a new idea in the last hundred years, but rather it started in the book of Acts. It was uh, affirmed by, by the early church fathers and continually moved through the church. Now, if this promise is still available then, and it's, and it's, and it's available in our world today, then who's it for and why? That's the big question. Um, let me tell you, this, we, this next generation, this generation now, wants to know the why. You're telling me to do this? Well, why? And I think that's a very good question. My, my kids growing up, the, after dad and mom, I think the next word they learned was why. Um, I, couldn't, I, I was about losing my mind. You go on any drive, where are we going? To the store. Why? Well, we need milk. Why? To eat cereal. Why? So we don't die. I don't know. You know, it's just the, the why train, right? And... And we want to know the why. Why does it matter that, that people be filled with the Holy Spirit? A, who's it for? And why does it matter? So as we talked about last week, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of being born again. The Holy Spirit regenerates within us. We're born again. But then as we read the New Testament, everyone who receives the Spirit baptism was already born again. Okay? It was two separate events. In Acts 19, Paul travels to a place called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. It's in the Aegean region. And he meets some new believers there. And he goes up to them and asks, have you received the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And, uh, and they go, what is the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Um, so their theology was very raw. Uh, as it, let's read it together. Acts 19, verse 1. I think I bookmarked it here for myself. Acts 19, verse 1, it says, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through, through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. 
We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. So these believers were baptized with John's baptism, which was a repentance baptism, but they hadn't even fully known Christ yet. So as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then... When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So we have different events happening here. We have a baptism of repentance, that's John's baptism. We have coming to Christ and being baptized in the name of Jesus, to to salvation of him being their Lord and Savior. But then Paul lays his hands on them, and they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So... so, So they receive this Holy Spirit. These believers say, wait, there's more? It's like watching one of those late night... Uh, infomercials, but wait, there's more, you know, it's, uh, you know, you like, you call now and you'll get, you'll get salvation. You'll get the Ginsu knives. You'll get baptism in the Holy spirit. It's, it's like this new opportunity that they didn't even know they had access to this new power, this new anointing that they go, there's more than just the repentance. There's more than even just having salvation. There's an infilling that we can experience with the very presence of God, this overflow of baptism in the Holy spirit. So why should a believer Seek that then. Why should it be a normal expectation? The way Paul asked these people if they had been filled was very like normative. It wasn't like, you want to try something weird? It was like, you're a believer. You have this then, right? And it's an expectation that that followers of Jesus should have. An expectation it should be part of a believer's life. Number one is, the baptism in the Holy Spirit opens the door for greater spiritual intimacy with God. Baptism in the Holy Spirit opens the door in your life for greater spiritual intimacy with God. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater, that I'm not even worthy, worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Did you see that? The first Baptist mentioned believed that baptism in the Holy Spirit was prophesied about. Right there. We've got Baptists in the Bible talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Greek word baptized literally means to be immersed. Not just spritzed, not just dampened, like, you know, but rather to be fully submerged. And God's desire is to immerse you in himself, in his presence, in his power. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is literally being fully submerged in the presence of God. There is an intimacy in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a, a new language that we see throughout Scripture that comes, that, that comes into your life, a praise language that's specifically meant for God, not for other people. It's a special language. And I've used this illustration before how um, in relationship you start to develop weird, weird language that's not really even English. In my family, we've got words that like sometimes we'll let it slip in public and we'll be like, that wasn't a word that anybody has any connotation of what it could mean. But it's our family language. It's an intimate language, right? It's our own words that we kind of develop that are out of affection for each other. In the same way, when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we have this new prayer language, it's an intimate relationship language be- specifically between God and people. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So it's not, that it's supposed to be used to freak people out. Like that's a weirdo. Right? But it's a, it's a language that's supposed to be an intimate relationship between God and ourselves. Tongues, to be honest, is a total assault on our pride. Um, we don't have a clue what we're saying, only that what we're speaking sounds weird. 
It's a strange sound. Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel Movement, said that tongues is the one gift of the Spirit that's an insult to one's intellect. I think God chose tongues to be the evidence of the Spirit baptism because it directly confronts our pride and our control issue. We have to face up with, I'm not the one running the show in this situation. And I'm a person that likes likes to think that people think I'm smart. Even if I'm not, I like to fake them out. And to speak in tongues is something where you're actually surrendering what you would think is your intellectual capacity to control. So our intimacy and reliance on God grow then as we're saying, God, I trust you with what I can't even understand or define. I don't even fully grasp it. And this is, you know, we talk about the mystery of God. This is part of the mystery that we don't even have necessarily the full grasp of, but it moves us into deeper intimacies. We say, I trust you with what I can't define. I trust you with what I don't fully understand the full mystery of it. The second reason is this. We experience the ba- when we experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it opens the door for greater spiritual power. We talked about this last week, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses. The baptism is not just something that happens to us. It's something that happens through us. Sometimes we seek the, or people talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit like it's something that you want to be like clunked over the head with it or something and like, it happened to me. But it's the Holy Spirit operating through the believer is what it's all about. The posture of the disciples, look how it changed. Peter, remember, 40 days earlier, 50 days earlier, was, uh, was, was standing in the temple grounds when Jesus was being uh, uh, questioned and a little, a little 12-year-old girl walks up to him and says, don't you know Jesus? He's like, I never heard of the guy. And he swore curses on himself to promise that he had never even heard of Jesus. This is how fearful he was. He went and hid. He ran into the night. He wanted nothing to do with it. And he wept bitterly at how he had forsaken Christ. But look what happened. 50 days, not even two months later, the Holy Spirit falls. People hear people speaking in tongues. They're going, what's going on? Peter stands up in front of the crowd and he proclaims who Jesus is. Not only that, he points to the Jewish leadership and he says, and you crucified him. Whoa. Holy Spirit changed the posture of this man. He stood up and raised his voice in Acts 2.14. See, spirit baptism is all about God directing and empowering our speech. We're saying, God, if I can trust you to order my words in a language I don't know, how much more can I trust you to order my words in a language I do know? The thing is, language can either be a bridge or a barrier. Hosanna and I were having a conversation about this the other day. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry, I keep throwing Gavin in. The, uh, I promise, Gavin, next service I won't use you as an illustration so much. But he's always trying to teach me the new slang. And I realize I'm an old person when I'm like, I don't even know what that means. He's like telling me about cap and no cap. I don't know. Something's a lie and something's not a lie. I get them mixed up. And then bet is when you like affirm something. You're like, do you want to get McDonald's? Bet. And that means yes now. Just so you know. I'm, I'm helping all you old people with me here. Uh, another one, he's got Riz. Oh, that's not a good one. I, I will scratch that one out. I will. Is that a bad? I hope it's not a bad word. Uh, <laughs> language is a. I'm recognizing my limitation in my own vocabulary in connecting with some generational spaces. Right? There's these things like Gavin will say something. I'll be like, I don't know what that meant. I don't. And and, there, and language can be a barrier, but in the same way, tongues allows the individual to bypass limitations of language in order to connect with the heart of God. 
Let me tell you, there's times, times where I'm tongue-tied. I don't know what the next thing to say is. I'm in prayer and I'm, I'm, my heart is seeking after the Lord, but I'm running out of the things to say. I don't know where to go, but the Holy Spirit speaks through me in, in ways that I don't understand. And so that language can become the bridge rather than the barrier. Again, who is this for? Who is the filling of the Holy Spirit for? It's for anyone who's born again and experienced the spirit regeneration. They're qualified for it. Acts 2.38, Peter replies, Each of you must repent for your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I'm not a cessationist. This, I pro- this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. The promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who have followed and been called by the Lord. For our children, for our children's children, people who are far off, he says. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, Now I want you to all speak in tongues. That's what he said. He was saying that with a measure of warning. He says, now there's things that are more important, especially in corporate gathering. Don't freak people out. You need to speak prophecies. That means speaking, speaking out truth, speaking out uh, gospel. But he says, um, I want you all to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So this promise is for all followers of Jesus, but many people automatically disqualify themselves because they don't feel holy enough. They're like, I've only been to zero years of Bible college. I don't think I qualify for that. Or I, I'm a, I've been a Christian for like, you know, a week. I don't think that's for me. Let me tell you, when we look at the gift, uh, you know, as, as something that comes when we reach a certain qualification level, we're looking at it backwards. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't a reward. It's not a merit badge you pin on yourself for ex- exceptional spirituality. It's rather what empowers us to actually live out this Christian life. It's what empowers us to live out this life, this empowered life. So, um, so please don't misunderstand and say, I'm, I'm not a mature enough believer to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It, not at all. Secondly is this, how do we know we re- received that infilling? When you go to the store and you buy something, something and the cashier hands you a receipt that shows your purchase, the receipt isn't the purchase, right? That receipt is merely the proof of the transaction. In the same way, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not the, through speaking in tongues. The speaking in tongues is not the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the receipt of the transaction that's happened. That's just the evidence that we see throughout Scripture of when people are filled. That's the, the physical phenomenon that follows. There are four accounts of people receiving spirit, spirit baptism in, in the Bible. Um, one of them is in Acts chapter 8. And it doesn't give specific, uh, specifics about their response. It's these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Simon the sorcerer receives this. And he sees physical manifestations of their filling of the Spirit. And he wants that. So we don't know what that was. But we can infer that it was through speaking in tongues. But next up, um, the other three are on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Then at the house of Cornelius in Caesarea, who was a non-Jew in Acts chapter 10. And then in, Eph- in Ephesus in Acts 19, which we talked about. And each one of these accounts state that they began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this wasn't an experience that surprised the disciples when it happened. Remember, Jesus said in Mark 16, 17 that they were to expect it. They were to expect it. And we aren't seeking tongues, we, when, when, we're not seeking tongues when we're praying for it so that we have that ability. What we're seeking is power. We're saying, God, I'm waiting on you for power. Jesus, fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. So if uh, Summer, if you'll come to the keys and Chris, this morning we're going to respond. And I want to give this opportunity to you if you say, I want that infilling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been following Jesus and maybe you're not sure about it, but you say, I want to ask God about this and say, if this is a gift you're offering me, I want to receive it. 
Right now, this is going to be a time to respond and say, if there's an unclaimed promise, if in the Bible, God, you talk about this and you say it's, it's a normative part of a Christian life that we should seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I want that thing. Let me tell you, if there was uh, something bonus that I could have and they're like, oh, that's a feature you can add on and you haven't been experiencing it, I want it. I want that thing. Um, let me tell you, this is so much more than just a, a neat feature. This is empowerment for our lives. So I want to encourage you to come forward this morning and receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I ended way early on purpose because I know that God wants to baptize you in His Holy Spirit. We don't need to convince God to, to baptize, baptize us. It's a free gift. It's a free gift He wants to give us. So this morning... Here's what I want to do before we come to the altars, church. And I want us to all respond to Jesus this morning. But before we do, I I always give this opportunity in a service. If you're in this room, if we can bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And you have never given your life to Christ from the first part. You say, I... This sounds fascinating, Pastor Brent. This sounds interesting, but I need that regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in my own life. I'm dead inside. I've been kind of going through the motions and I I don't have life. Right now, the life is available to you through Jesus. And he offers it to you freely. And it's through receiving his forgiveness for our sins. You see, the Bible says that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God in and of himself is perfect. There is nothing in him that is uh, faulty, that is sinful, that is wrong. And because God is perfect in every way, he is perfectly holy, perfectly pure, he can have nothing to do with sin. And since every one of us has chosen our own way at some point in our life, no one is perfect, that separated us from God. And that separation is death. But God, before the beginning of time, knew this was going to happen, and he sent his son Jesus to die for us and to take our place. Not just die for us, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, but to die instead of us. And he laid down his life and died instead of us so that we could have eternal life. And when we give him our life and say, I give you my life, Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that we will be saved. That we have eternity that's given to us. So right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you say, Pastor Brent, I've never given my life to Christ, but I want to do that this morning. It's time for me to surrender my life fully to him. Will you raise your hand and raise it high? I want to pray with you right now. Thank you. Yes. Anybody else? Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Yes. You can put your hands down. Right now, everybody, we're going to pray together. This isn't a prayer that's magical words. This is a prayer of a posture of our heart. And it says, God, I believe you are who you said you are. But then also, because I believe who you said you are, I ask you to forgive me of my failures, my sin, my shortcoming. Forgive me. Come into my life. And now I will follow you from this day forward. It's a prayer of commitment because now the whole paradigm shifts. The whole direction of our life changes on our priorities, the things that we we count as most important. And the, the, the pilot of our life who's steering the ship is no longer ourself. It's him. We surrender it to him. So this is not something to take lightly. And I encourage you to consider it heavily. But if you've prayed this prayer or you're making that decision today, I want you to pray this and repeat it after me. Say it out loud, church. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me and that you rose again and you took my sin, my failure, and my rebellion and took it to the cross so that I don't have to die. And you offer me 
eternal life. So forgive me, Jesus. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. I make you my king and I make you my Lord from this day forward. In your name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I celebrate and heaven celebrates with those that said, I'm going to make that commitment. Now we begin the journey forward. And if you would, if you haven't done a connection card yet, or if you've already done one, mark on your connection card. Do a second one. I don't care. Let us know you made that choice to follow Jesus because we want to connect with you on the next steps of following. And what does that mean? What's that look like? And so if you'll mark that on your connection card, let us know. Better yet, come talk to me. We're going to have prayer here in just a few minutes. But will you come talk to me? I want to pray with you and talk with you. All right? But right now what we're going to do is stand together. And if our elders and our prayer team can come forward, we're going to spread across the front here. Here's what I'm going to ask. If you have never received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite you to come forward and begin to seek the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I want you to fill me with your presence, your Holy Spirit. I want that power. I don't, I'm not just seeking the filling of tongues. I want the Holy Spirit's anointing and power to come on my life. And the rest of the team, the worship team can come forward. Also, if you have already been filled, but you want to be refilled, you, you, you feel like you've been running dry, I encourage you to find a place around these altars. We're going to seek the Lord together. There is still time, lots of time in the service to come seek the Lord. So right now, let's step out. Come forward right now. Step out into the aisles. Come forward, and we're going to seek the Lord together. Let's seek the Holy Spirit's infilling with power right now. Let's come forward, church. of Acts, it tells us that the, the believers were seeking obediently. They were pursuing Jesus. They were hungry in their relationship. So right now, if you're seeking that infilling, maybe you're not feeling like you want to come forward, but what I do encourage you to do is seek Jesus. Because he is the one, as John said, is the one who will baptize you in fire. And so right now, if you you will pursue Jesus, pursue the one who is the baptizer right now. Just begin to press in. Let's press in. Let's just worship him. We're going to lift our voice in praise. Church, can we all together begin to just lift the name of Jesus? Lord, you are so good. Jesus, I praise you and I exalt your name. You are glorified. I praise you, Jesus. You are so awesome. You are mighty. You are good and great. Thank you, Jesus.
says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. Now, a lot of us might say, I, do, do I need to feel intense emotionally? Should there be an overwhelming feeling? Uh, should I feel sparkles? But let me tell you that uh, we're all wired differently. differently. Some of us, um, we cry at Christmas commercials, right? But some of us, we, we have the emotional depth of like, you know, we feel like I'm like an oak tree. I just, I just, I'm not a crier. I'm not a weeper. Let me tell you, who made our emotions is God. And the one who made us it's not the emotion or lack of emotion that defines that it's 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 really um it it doesn't override the scriptural proof of the experience so right now it's about cooperating with the holy spirit by speaking out every reference to speaking in tongues in the bible says that the person spoke not the holy spirit the holy spirit doesn't speak in tongues but he gives his people the ability to do so this is a process of cooperation between the holy spirit and the believer So when the Spirit comes on you, you're not going to be out of control. You're not in an out-of-body state. You have complete control, but you're surrendering to the Holy Spirit and you're speaking out. So right now, just continue to lift up the name of Jesus and speak out in faith, saying, Lord, I'm surrendering and being used by you. Start thanking Jesus out loud for what he's promised. Begin to then speak in that spiritual language. You may stammer at first. You may feel like, is this real? Just whatever. In pursuing him, don't retreat. Thank him for filling you with the Holy Spirit. Then continue in your spiritual language. Let's continue just pressing in together, church. Jesus. Jesus.
fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. So set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul. Can't contain that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain. I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Sing it out, church. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain. I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Oh, we want more of you, God. We want more of you, God. Jesus, we pursue you. We come after you, Lord, this morning. We glorify you. There's no place we would rather be than to be here in your presence, Lord. We exalt you. We praise you. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Lord. sing that one more time we sing out so set a fire down in my soul that i can't contain i can't control i want more of you god jesus we pursue you let me give you some encouragement you might ask what happens if i pursue being filled with the holy spirit and i i'm not filled let me tell you first of all it's not a lack of faith it's not a lack of faith um, you have not been unsuccessfully seeking the baptism. You've been successfully seeking Jesus. We have been seeking Jesus, and it's been time well spent. My dad uh, sought the whole infilling of the Holy Spirit for a very long time. He would go to camps. He would go to big retreats and at church and all kinds of things. Then one day he was at home in bed, and he just said, God, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And boom, the Holy Spirit fell on him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. We don't know the time or the place, but let me tell you, continue to pursue the Lord. And as Paul says, pursue the gifts. Pursue the gifts. Say, God, I want to be filled with the power of your filling with the Holy Spirit. Continue seeking Him. Continue pursuing Him. And this goes for not just if you're seeking the filling, but if you are filled, do not stop operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Continue using that prayer language, pursuing Him. Don't let it grow grow faint, but continue to chase after God with all we've got. Amen, church? Let's go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit this week. Let's pursue Him with everything we have. God bless you. We will see you on Wednesday at our life groups. Have a great, blessed week.